Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Drexel Basketball Podcast. So uh, I'm Nate, and then we've got Leon, and then our special guest, Roland, who is joining us from, we, we just found out, Johnstown, PA. I need to learn my Western Pennsylvania. I'm working on it, but I'm from Eastern PA, so you trying to balance myself out. So, uh, but we're a little late this week. We had some textual, technical difficulties on Sunday night, so I ended up pushing it back to tonight, and I'm curious what you guys think, but I'm not too disappointed we waited because didn't have the best weekend last week. Um, you know, it was just kind of frustrating for a lot of reasons. And start out the weekend, Villanova women lost by 20 to Creighton. Thought that was going to be a good game. Then we spent the night and then Saturday I was watching Drexel lose by 20 to Princeton while LSU was losing by 20 to Georgia. And then Sunday, the Drexel women lost by 20 to St. Joe's. So that was kind of the theme of the weekend. People losing by 20. Thankfully, the Eagles won. Uh, so uh, waiting a few days probably gave me a chance to be in a little happier place than I was on on uh, Sunday night and into Monday. So this may not be the the worst situation that we're delayed a little bit. So um, so I'm just going to start out uh, and, and try to be pretty brief. The men's team we're going to start out talking with talking about them. So two games last week. First one went better, obviously. Drexel beating Lafayette 64 to 50, 64 54. Pretty even in the first half. In fact, it was 30 to 29 at halftime. And Lafayette, uh, you know, got a lot of open looks, ran backdoor cuts, got pretty much what they wanted. They had 10 assists on 13 field goals. And then we responded. We had a good start to the second half, a 10-0 run as part of getting our lead out to about 16 with 10 minutes and 48 seconds, 48 seconds left to go in the game. Uh, Coltrane, uh, a part of that too. Uh, as he had a three-pointer as part of that run. And um, you you look at the box score, that's kind of what you want to see. You know, Coltrane at 18 points, Odin, 5 of 8 shooting at 17, Amari at 16 points. So maybe the guys we want to see scoring had nice games for us. We were 7 of 8 from the line in the second half, too. Always good to see that. So not, uh, you know, maybe you want to see us ideally blow out a team by Lafayette, but just nice to see us respond in the second half and ended up with a, with a, a win at home. So uh, got out of there and, and did what we had to do. Uh, I didn't look too closely at the box score on Saturday, honestly, because, uh, you know, basically Princeton came out right from the jump and took it to us. Really no other way to put it. Uh, I think we, we took like five and a half minutes for us to get our first basket. And then they were up 14-4 pretty much right out of the shoot. Played them even for the most part the rest of the game. But then, uh, they kind of, uh, and we got within single digits a couple times, but then they went on a run at the end of the game too, ending up winning by 20. So kind of tough to watch us get blown out like that at home. So uh, again, that uh, didn't leave me with the best taste in my mouth uh, as the weekend went forward. So so I'm going to start with Roland. So uh, just kind of curious, you know, whatever it takes you, you had from the weekend, what are your thoughts on how things went? Yeah, I mean, the Lafayette game, I was a little concerned going in um, because, you know, they play, I would say, more of a high IQ type of offense with a lot of back cuts, like you mentioned. Um, and they seem to really focus on pulling Amari out of the middle and then running cuts and plays behind them for some pretty easy looks or open threes. Um, and as I think, you know, you guys have said on the podcast uh, before, he really cleans up a lot of mistakes that the guards make on the defensive side. Um, and, and I thought Lafayette had a pretty unique uh, strategy to kind of exploit that. Um, but we did respond, I think, which is good and, and really cleaned things up in the second half and had some big, uh, some big baskets and I think took advantage of our, 
uh, superior athletic ability compared to Lafayette um, to make the difference in that game. Um, a couple things that did stand out to me, though, on the offensive side, and I think it really carried over to the Princeton side, um, was sometimes I'm just not sure what we're doing on offense. Um, there was a, a stretch in the Lafayette game uh, where Okros just stood in the corner uh, by the bench for three straight possessions. It didn't even touch the ball. He just stood there. Um, and it seemed at a certain point that Lafayette just let him over there um, because it, it was pretty intent that he wasn't going to be involved in the offense. And it wasn't just him. There was other people who'd seen in that position um, to get lost. And I think, you know, that offensive drought and lack of ability to get easy buckets really played a big role um, in the Princeton game and it turning out to be a blowout. Um, because I think there was two key sequences in that game. And as you said, we got off to a pretty bad start. Um, but with 640 left in the first half, it was a three-point game. Um, but then there was a sequence over the next two minutes where then they stretched it to 29 to 18. And in that two minutes plus, um, they had two threes and the big dunk that resulted in the timeout to kind of stop that run. Um, but our offensive looks during that stretch, I thought were, were pretty questionable. We had a Okros post up turnaround fade away with like two seconds on the shot clock that didn't work. The next possession we had was a, a more jumper from the foul line. It was a tough shot, but he's been making it. So I, I'm not too bad there. Um, but then they went inside the Garfield Turner. Another Okros open three, at least he was open, and then the turnover that left to the dunk. And so I think, you know, going through, I don't think any of us would want those five possessions to go in that order and without, you know, having Coltrane or Amari or somebody with a little bit more of a scoring pedigree um, try to take a shot. And then the second half, the same thing happened. You know, Justin Moore, um, breaks that guy's ankles, results in a Williams dunk uh, and the foul. And next thing you know, it's a six-point game. The Dak's on fire. Um, we get a steal. We take an ugly three. They turn around. Easy drive. Odin answers with a ridiculous three-pointer from like NBA range. So now it's down to a five-point game. But then we have a screen issue on defense. They get an open three to answer. They double Amari the next possession down. He forces it, turnover. They get an easy layup. And next thing you know, it's back to a 10-point game. And I think, you know, it's these little stretches where we just seem to lose a little bit of focus or there's no strategy or we're getting, just can't get an easy bucket. Like when Princeton got in trouble, they were always able to get an easy bucket to kind of maybe stop a 5-0 run or a 6-0 run. And it seems like we really struggle um, when that's the case on us, we just can't get that easy bucket. Everything seems to be a real grind to score. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. I mean, you know, a lot of it I'm sure has to do with these guys are still learning to play with each other. Um, but I think it's something that we've seen in repeated games and I, I don't see any improvement in it. And I think that's a concern going into league play because now there's a book of work on us. Um, and it's only going to make it that much more difficult if we don't come up with a quick solution to stop these um, mini runs that we have against us in a game. I think you meant you guys both covered the games pretty well. Uh, so I don't, I don't think I want to 
talk specifically about the games, but I, one of the things that I think you hit on, Roland, this not switching on screens and giving an easy shot up is was consistent even in that pen game that we lost. So I don't know if it's a lack of help or just people getting used to each other, you know, on how you switch. But there's been plenty of times when Justin Moore has a man, there's a screen that's put on him, and he's either he's, he doesn't get out there to put his hand up for the shot, and they get an easy shot up. And that happened a few times when we were playing that, you know, the pen player that was an absolute monster from the three-point line, and even in this Lafayette game and the Princeton game for sure. And Lafayette, I, I don't know how happy I can be beating Lafayette, but I guess I'll take that as a better than going 0-3 before that. Uh, so I'll, I, sh- I guess I'll be happy about that. But that Princeton game after that just kind of exposed all our weaknesses. If Mari is only scoring like less than 10 points, we can't win a game. That's, it's, it's, a, it's a non-starter for us. And if you can get Amari out of his game, you pretty much break down our entire offense because the rest of the players – don't know where to go. Don't know where to move. To your point, Okros was stuck on one side of the on one side of the court for several multiple plays. It, it doesn't make any sense. It seems like unless we have a set offense that uh, works as we expect it to work, we don't have an out, and uh, players don't know necessarily what to do. And, and uh, the good thing is Amari is a monster. There's, but if you can get him out of his game, if you can pull him out of the uh, underneath from underneath the basket, then yeah, and then. And this is pretty early in the season. Teams are figuring that out. The way you play Amari is uh, to make us a worse defensive team is all you got to do is put somebody, you know, big on him that can shoot from the outside so he kind of has to step out, and then we're in trouble. So I don't think there's too much I can add from an uh, X's and O's standpoint, but uh, it, it does seem like we get into these stretches where we can't score. And if it's a team like Lafayette, maybe it's recoverable, but a team like Princeton's going to put us away. Uh, and if you given if and when you do get some momentum and get close to like within five, yeah, you know, we, we and I was surprised we got that close. I thought it was going to be one of those games, Nate, like we had before where we would hang around within eight the entire game and just be happy to lose. Uh, but in the end, it was worse. <laughs> we ended up going down 20 to lose. So. Uh, I don't. I don't know. You know, we we seem to bring it within five. Had a spark, and then made a series of mistakes, and they capitalized. And we couldn't find an easy bucket. We don't have any easy points. And you brought that up to Roland. There's no easy points for Drexel. The other team, they seem to some backdoor cut or do a screen and get a pop up shot. We we work for every half point even that we can get. So, it, you know, it, it was it, it was a little twenty point loss is rough and. You know, and not to talk about the women too soon, but, you know, when, when you know that happened on the women's side too, right after that, it was it was a bad day. You know, when you mentioned that easy shot, like there was, like I said, a couple instances where, you know, we had got close and the DAC was loud. You could tell it like things were starting to turn and they'd give it to Alaco and he'd just do some back down or a smart cut to the to the basket. And there's an easy layup for him. And I, like sometimes I think uh, we have that uh, with. I think Bergens has tried a couple times to back people down. Justin Moore has a nice p- play where he can kind of cut to the foul line and take a, a mid-range jumper. But that's about it. Maybe you get an Amari post-up. But now I think teams are going to see that you throw a little bit of double team at him. And I didn't see a lot of movement to like try to get open. Like if someone's double in Amari, someone's open. And I think we're real slow to react to that. And we got to find a way to get an easy bucket when we need it 
just to kind of stop the bleeding and try to build some momentum to get back if, you know, if we're on a little bit of a slide. And that's really been missing, I think, in all of the losses, this has occurred to one degree or another. Yeah, I think of, uh, you know, how do you get easy baskets? And I guess I just think, and not that it's easy to attack the rim because you get hit and it's physical and that sort of thing. I, I don't know that I see anybody really attacks for us. And you kind of wonder who that could potentially be. And I, and I you know, I, re- I think I remember the back down with Oak Rose and, and it's like, in one sense, I was glad at least somebody was trying to get to the rim other than Amari. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It, it, it ended up not being the best looking shot. Um, so trying to figure out how we could get somebody who will drive to the basket. And then, I mean, I will say it seems like we're shooting free throws a little better. I don't have the stats in front of me. So that's a little encouraging. But yeah, get to the rim, get to the foul line, score that way. And then, and then plus, like you guys are touching on too, is, you know, we see other teams beating us with back cuts and all those sorts of things. And I, I don't really see us doing any of that, honestly. So then it, it really does come down to, I feel like our guys getting themselves open. So, and it, and it does, and Roland, you said it too. It's like, it reminds me of Dan and I last week, I, I, he was like, you know, get back to who we are. And I asked him, I'm like, who are we? And I, I, that's my big issue when I watch the games. And, and like you said, too, it's like, who are we? What do we want to do? And then seeing it get better and, and improve game by game. And that's all I really want to see. And I think that's why it was. And, and Leon, like you said, it was like yeah, I was all geared up for the usual eight point loss where we didn't, you know, didn't make any kind of run and being upset of why didn't we why didn't we adjust and try to press them or anything. But it ended up almost being worse that it just kind of ballooned there at the end. And, you know, I just, I, I, again, I'm just trying to figure out who we are. So if guys, I mean, have you figured that out? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I got to give us a little bit of uh we're a young team. Uh, these guys are still gelling kind of thing. So I don't think we know who we are. I think we are a team that's trying to be built around Amari, but we're not quite there yet because for us to have for us to build around Amari, we do need a couple more pieces that haven't fully we need that point guard that's just uh, that can get to the basket anytime he wants to almost, right? So you have a little bit of that extra threat. Our shooters, we we do have shooters. The sad part is Lamar Odin's a good shooter. Coltrane's a great shooter. Mateo Okro should be a good shooter. The, the like we need to set up, I guess, a few more opportunities. And this is again. We mentioned this before as well, but we need to set up a few more opportunities for them to get up, get some shots. Mateo Okros only took four short shots in each of these games. Like, he's a spot shooter. <laughs> you're lost, if you're losing by 20, get your spot shooter a few more shots. Like, uh, I just, um, I think we don't know who we are yet. From what I could see, I think we're a team that's trying to build around Amari. And understandably, he is, he, he's a great player. He's a... He's, uh, he's the best player we have on the team, so I'm glad we're building around him. But I am yet to see the other pieces start to form yet. I know Coltrane, uh, you know, is probably out of the next next group of players. I would say Coltrane's the only one that's actually, uh, understandably, the most mature one there. But I think we need that point. You know, we got too used to Cam Winner maybe, but we need that point guard position to be a little more uh, consistent and not have as many turnovers, especially. Yeah, I, I mean, luckily, Lamar Odin showed up for uh, the Princeton game or we would have lost by 30. I mean, he's the last two games, um, he's been 7-11 from three. I mean, he's just shooting ridiculous and like long threes. Um, so, I mean, he was really feeling it for, versus Princeton. And at a certain point, they just kind of started 
taken him away because as hot as he was, Coltrane was ice cold. I, I don't think I've ever seen him airball a three, let alone three in one game, which he did against Princeton. Um, so it seems like, you know, we have some tools, but unless all those, you know, gears are running and the engine's fine-tuned, we really struggle. When one person's off, we, we really struggle to kind of supplement um, and cover form. And, of course, you know, everybody's going to have ups and downs, um, including, I would think, maybe Amari even in this Princeton game was a little bit down compared to where he has been. Um, but there's, you know, not a lot of pieces there to put together to try to boost or pick up, you know, somebody when they're down. Um, and I think, you know, being a young team, I mean, losing as many guys from the lineup that pulled big minutes, had big responsibilities to score, I think is playing a role in what we're seeing early. Um, I would start to hope that some of this is starting to come together as we're getting, you know, a couple more games and it's time to, to start the conference season here, uh, after Christmas. So got to hopefully start to see some of this gelling from these guys as they come together and, and try to find something um, that works for us with what, you know, tools we have in the, in the toolbox. Yeah. And, and like I said, that's really all I want to see is, yeah, some semblance of we're putting this together and cause Christmas is coming. And then shortly after that, I mean, I think league play starts New Year's weekend. So, I mean, that's only what, three weeks away. We only have a few games in between. So I was, I was sitting here thinking, and, and part of, yeah, I mean, being a team that runs through Amari, I think is probably what we have to do. Then again, I, I don't, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know if we have the best feel for when we, we go into him. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that Old Dominion game, it was kind of interesting. And, and maybe that's a blueprint for how we play. I mean, I think the first half really tried to play physical and pound it inside. And then, but then realized we needed to open things up a little bit and shoot threes a little bit more. But then that Penn game, it was like the perimeter guys were totally like locked up and not willing to shoot. And then it was like all Amari. It's like, so yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys getting the pieces to work together where, we could go inside to Amari, but then when he passes out, he's got guys that are willing to shoot. And then plus putting the guys in the right position so they're open and, and figuring out how to get them the looks they need, kind of putting all those pieces together. So disappointing to see it get away at the end. You know, it, it's it's one thing just to it, – it was getting old to see us just kind of go through that same broken record, but then to really kind of let it go at the end too is, uh, yeah, left a bad taste in the mouth, put it that way. So – I mean, how good did Princeton look? I, I mean, I watched it on Flow, but I, were both of you guys there? And Roland was there. We want to give them credit. I mean, how did they look? Yeah, I mean, I was there uh, in person. And I think one thing that I was impressed about is how physical um, they were. I mean, they were really, I think at some points, really taking it to us on the physical side. I mean, all those guys were were really physical, were on our guys and, and you know, not afraid to body them up. Um, and I think particularly Amari almost to a point um, that it started to kind of wear on them um, because they were rotating. I don't know how many guys they played in the first five minutes, but they must have played 10 guys um, because they were rotating through uh, pretty well um, and really took the physical aspect to us, um, whether it was setting screens and having, you know, our guards were having a tough time getting around screens, which led to some open looks for them or when Amari got the ball. I mean, they were really bodying them up pretty tough. Um, and I know there was a quite a few instances where we had got some penetration from the guards towards the basket. And it's just like they hit a brick wall because these guys were so stout and then they'd end up backing it out that we tried, you know, circling again to try to come back in. So, I mean, a lot of credit to Princeton. I thought, you know, they played really well. 
and they played really smart because they had a lot of easy baskets um, and really, I think, exploited the weaknesses that maybe the Lafayette game exposed um, from a smart offense and playing smart with the ball with back cuts and setting good screens and getting open looks. Um, so, yeah, a lot of credit to them for sure. I mean, I can't remember what order Penn and Princeton were one and two in the Ivy preseason. So, like we said, they were tough opponents and good tests for us. So, I'm probably compared to last year when, in the same deal, I mean, they, they really pounded us inside. Their big man gave us trouble. And, I mean, it just came down. To, and I guess a similar kind of game, although we were leading last year, we were like, we sat right there at like five or six points the whole game leading and then kind of let them in back into the game at the end. So, you know, again, it's that you feel like, yeah, I guess part of that's with our inconsistency on offense. We're always that one run away, either from, you know, sealing a game or coming back and potentially stealing a game. And we just can never seem to put it together. So, but hopefully we'll see a lot of, a lot of the season left to go. So with that, maybe it's a good time for us to see if there was a good, bad and ugly this week. So this is a new segment we tried last time, Roland. Uh, I mean, essentially we're going to try to see if there's a thing or uh, it could be just as even a, a play that we think was good out of these two games a bad or an ugly and we don't need to have one of each we can have more goods or more bads or more uglies but i figure if you if there was one that stood out to you as a good a bad or an ugly yeah so i mean from a good standpoint i mean it's hard to top lamar odin's three-point shooting i mean he had the range making good choices like I said, he was seven out of 11 between the two games um, for three-point range. And I think really kept us in that Princeton game at times. Um, so I thought, you know, and it's something that's been coming on from him. I know he had a couple down games early on where it's like, you know, where is he? And But the last couple games, I mean, he's really showed up um, and he can really shoot the ball. And I think that's a, a really good um, thing for the offense because it gives us another weapon that we can use. And I think we desperately need some weapons. Um, I also thought, uh, you know, as I was preparing for this, I went back and watched the replay on flow. And from an ugly standpoint, I can't believe they totally missed Justin Moore breaking that kid's ankles on the video. Like that happened right in front of where I sit on the court. And I mean, the guy just got snapped in half on a sick move. And then I go back to watch this on flow sports. It, they're like a crowd shot and next thing you know Amari's dunking the ball and everyone's going crazy and you never knew how it happened and why this guy's on the you know the court and Amari's dunking and everyone's going nuts <laughs> so I'm a big flow fan I will say despite what Dan says because you know western Pennsylvania I need my Drexel basketball fix but um, and it's a good way to do it but they really uh screwed up on that one by totally missing a really sick move by Justin Moore to break the ankles on that guy. And I mean, it was unbelievable in person. I mean, that, the DAC was, I won't say back. That's as loud as I've heard the DAC in, in a long time. Good example of flow fans will criticize flow when it's deserved. So, and I, cause I'm the same deal. I, I had to kind of use my imagination to fill in. I'm like, I assume he broke his ankles with that dribble, but I'm not totally sure. So you kind of filled things in for me. I appreciate that. And, and I'll just add, and I same with, the good, you know, with uh, with Odin is I still feel like he's got a complete game. I mean, there's been a couple of times where he's backed people down and posted up. So, I, I mean, the shooting's great. I still think he's got more in his game. And we just have to figure out how to kind of, um, what's the word, uncork that or uh, open that up and get him going. So, 
And I said the foul shooting too. I mean, that's been a positive. So, uh, but yeah, that's all I would add there, Leon. Yeah, I definitely agree with Lamar Odom being probably the very obvious and shining bright thing for these two games, uh, and especially even at the Princeton game. So as far as the uh, ugly, I don't think I have too much. But for bad, like I, th- I do think our, right now at least, uh, our offense when it comes outside, you know, consistency in our offense is just a bad thing. It's it, We just can't seem to find that steady offense when we need it especially. So I would put something around just, just a general statement that if, if we, we can't seem to find easy offense, and that's the bad thing right now because when you're going through a drought, all you need is those two points. Oh, you're hoping a big man can get it for you. Somebody that can just get to the basket and get you those two points so you can get out of the drought and kind of get back into the swing of things. And we don't seem to have that capability until it's too late right now. Even with Lamar Odin's you know, great performance the last two games. So, Yeah, all right. Do we talk about women's basketball? So, uh, so we'll go through. They had two games last week, and uh, say I think it was the same night as the Lafayette game. The women's team started, I think, like an hour earlier. Played down at Longwood, and got off to a slow start, sixteen fifteen after the first quarter. But then we caught fire, outscored the Lancers twenty three to twelve, and just kind of took care of the took control of the game from that point on. Um, ended up winning by thirteen. Uh, so. You know, kind of a tough night because finding out as the game started that Kylie Lavelle wasn't going to play, and then Mara Hendrickson also got injured as the game went along. So, uh, but we held it together. You know, players like Grace O'Neill stepped up, had a Satman. She had ten points. Uh, even Mara came back and had a nice game with fourteen points. So, just one of those road runs you have to kind of tough out, and and we did that. We got some good minutes from people like Chloe Hodges coming in. So, yeah, just one of those. I guess some of the Lafayette game. We just gotta gotta check that box and show up. There was saw read some concern. Why didn't we blow them out? And I'm like, you really want to go to Farmville, Virginia, on whatever night that was when it's cold. And uh, you, as long as you go down there and want to win the game, that's all I was looking for. So that's what we did. Uh, and then Sunday, uh, and again, I'm not going to do a deep dive into the box score. Uh, we just to me, we played a better team. I mean, St. Joe's really looked like a complete team. They shot the ball well. They moved without. So you're talking about getting easy shots. I mean, they they people were driving. People were, were scoring off cuts. They were getting open looks, and they were hitting every open look. We, we played zone early, and they moved the ball really well, got wide open threes. They knocked them down. and even posted up a little bit. So, uh, And then without Kylie Lavelle, I'm not using that as an excuse necessarily because I like that we had to play maybe some more players. But, I mean – you got to have St. Joe's credit. So, and uh, if you have the opportunity, they play Villanova on Saturday, low sports game, two o'clock. Uh, it will be worth watching. I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So that's all I'm going to say. We got beat by a better team. What are you going to do? And hopefully we learn from it. So, um, but you guys get a chance to see it. Any thoughts on the women's team last week? I did not, but I will say I've probably watched more women's basketball this year than I have in past. And I think one thing that's impressed me is you mentioned, you know, some key contributors being down and it doesn't seem to slow Keyshawn Washington down at all. I mean, she just continues to, to score points and, you know, keep, you know, win games or keep the team close. And I think, you know, she's a really special player um, on the women's side because it doesn't seem anything to slow her down. I mean, she's going to get her points, whether she has any, uh, help or not. Um, and I think that's a real credit to the player 
uh, that she is. Um, so I, I've kind of thought that's quite impressive, um, you know, especially losing Hannah and, you know, sh- some of the things that she could do to be a compliment. And now that's not there. And then other people have been injured and, and she just keeps on rolling. So um, credit to her for really being a, an absolute uh, star out there for us. Yeah, and St. Joe's, they defended her well, too. I mean, she had to take a lot of shots to get her points. So, you know, I mean, she did everything she could Sunday, but like I said, just a better team. But It does kind of expose us a little bit on Kishana Washington being an amazing, incredible player, but how reliant we are on her taking over 20 shots a game. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, putting up the points that we expect her to put up. But... Um, is Kylie Lavelle hurt? I, I, I guess I'm assuming she's injured, but do we know when she's coming back? Lower body injury. And okay. they just said uh, it was it was a comment that day to day, but then there was also a comment that something like we hope she's back by conference play. So who knows? We'll see. Yeah, because she's been kind of like the Robin to her, you know, Kishana's Batman so far this year. And without, Ro- you know, it was clear in these two games, even though we you know won the Longwood game, but in St. Joe's, when you're putting up 27 shots and you're the only player with more <laughs> that's in double digits, it's not a good look, right? And understandably, not that St. Joe's maybe wasn't the better team anyway, but you can't win a game like that. And uh, not that clearly Kishana can't be stopped because even <laughs> you can do what you want, she's, st- she's going to still put up the points she puts up, but it does make it a lot harder to win a game. And the other team, there's multiple players that are executing and scoring a lot more points. So, it does expose us a little bit, but you know, if we can again, another we have a fresh Grace O'Neill is a freshman point guard, right? True freshman. Yes. So yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah. again, a younger team, younger person in the point guard position. So and she she's playing great. So as she gets better, it's a I feel like the you know it's only going to get better. Unfortunately for Nate, his record prediction is now uh, <laughs> no longer possible. But you know, we'll, we'll, two losses for the entire year is okay, right, Nate? Yeah, no, and and I, I mean, the only thing I'd say about Kishana is, you know, Sunday, I felt like, it, and I, I you can't fault her for it. I thought she was trying to do a little too much, and she got a technical foul at the end of the game, and it, it, it didn't bother me because it, it just showed how hard she was trying and then kind of how frustrated she was. And so it was one of those deals, I think, you know, she, I think she got a ball out of bounds and kind of slammed it, and then the ref was standing right there and, and teed her up. So, but it shows how hard she's playing, and, and that's what you got to love about her, so... Um, no, and, and, and then again, you know, I, with the women's team, it's like, I, I know Amy Mallon's going to figure out how to put these pieces together. And, and again, that's all we're looking for on the men's side too, is how do you get them working together? And, you know, what is, what is Drexel men's basketball? I think Drexel women's basketball has a good sense of what it is. And that's why that program has been su- so successful. So we'll see, but, um, but yeah, I was wrong. What I, I, I will say though, I, I'm proud. I, I feel like, Sometimes I feel like I'm too pessimistic, but on a few recent debates, I feel like I've been on the optimistic side for some reason. So I guess it makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> but, I don't uh, know. I but think yeah. you're pretty much an optimist on Flow Sports, on on our records. Well, and I want to have a conversation here about the Palestra and the Big Five So before we, we finish up here, and uh, that's a separate issue. And I, I think I'm on the, the optimistic side of that. But anyway, um, but yeah of talking about our next games. What do you guys, what do you think about LaSalle? Well, I'm a little concerned after the Princeton um, game that if we don't find some consistency in our offense, 
um, that we're going to lose to LaSalle because, you know, Fran Dumphy's a fantastic coach. Um, so, you know, they're going to be well coached um, and that can make up for whatever talent gaps or so. So I'm not really familiar with their roster, but knowing Fran Dumphy, I mean, he, he's a good coach and has always put a good team and brand of basketball on the floor. So unless we can find some consistency to our offense, I think that could be a tough one for us. Um, but I think it's an important one because I'd really like to see, you know, this is the first time we've been blown out um, in a game this year. How are we going to bounce back and how are we going to respond to that? Um, so I'm really interested to see the response and, and hopefully it's a win um, over a city rival um, to, to get us back on the right track, making our way towards conference play. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this LaSalle game. Unfortunately, Fran Dunphy's had our number. And he was at Penn. He, you know, it was it was painful uh, the number of times Penn beat us, and we'd have to, of course, be, uh, take all those beatings at the palestra. So that didn't help. But um, I, uh, Roland, I think hit it on the head. It's it's this is a young team with a twenty point loss. How do you react? Is uh, it'll it'll be a great test. But for old times' sake, I hope we come in firing. And I, I'd I'd love nothing more than beating LaSalle and also beating Fran Dunphy. <laughs> for all the times he he beat us when he was yeah. at Penn. I, 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 we're planning to go to the game, and I, I probably like ninety five percent of the reason is just to see him coached because you feel like he's probably not going to be around much longer. And I'm on this kick of so my son can say twenty thirty years from now, yeah, I saw Fran Dumphy coach, and I, I like to take photos, and it's cool, you know, just to have that in the bag too of sort of the last. And I just talk about the Big Five here in a little bit, but that last that that regime that built that. And that was there when I started at Drexel He's kind of the last man standing. So I'm, I'm curious, but I, I'm just glad. It, and for multiple reasons, I've tried to avoid social media in the last like week or so. I don't know. I'm just, again, I, I was kind of irritated last weekend with how some of the games went. So I was just like staying away from it, but I, I always get tired of Drexel fans ripping on LaSalle. I feel like it's like, they, they feel like it's like that one, that, that one school that might be beneath us. And then we always lose to them. So it's like, what do we, you know, we really can't say much. So it's like, yeah, it's a game. If we're where we should be, we should win. And I, I don't know that we're there yet, yet for consistency reasons and that sort of thing. So it's a good test for us to go over there. And um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm with you guys. I haven't really seen much. I've seen Penn a number of times. They keep popping up on even national TV, but um, haven't seen them yet. But yeah, it's a, it'd be a good test. That's for sure. So um and uh national tv right usa network yeah usa network i, I don't i don't I, I don't understand how that happened but i'm sure Dan was here, he'd, he'd know exactly how <laughs> yeah like um tell your friends you know put put it on usa network check out drexel basketball so yeah so looking forward to it um and try to get over there i mean i know north philly and that part isn't the most scenic but i mean it's a place we could try to take over and get some drexel fans so we'll see how that works out uh, women play at Yale, uh, other than I may try to go up for that game. And I know we've had conversations about pizza before. It turns out New Haven is a big pizza area. And we made a trip to New New Hampshire and I, I wanted to stop to, to, to try it and it just didn't work out. So I saw Drexel playing a team in New Haven and I'm like, well, there you go. So um, the Lord works in mysterious ways and I'm not religious, but I don't know. I'm just saying that. <laughs> so like, um, so that's a lot of the reason why. And then we got hockey tickets in Bridgeport for Saturday night. So we're looking at making the trip. Other than that, um, you know, I think Yale played Syracuse pretty close. And then um, 
you know, they've, they've been in most of the games they played. So sort of like the Longwood game, it's, it's a, a game we got to show up and play well, or we're going to come over with a loss. So it's, it's going to be a good opportunity for us. So. Yeah. Make sure you get some white clam pizza. I think that's like a link. You don't get it anywhere else other than New Haven. I don't yeah, think. I have it light up. I, I think, and I want to say it was there's Sally's is one place I want to go to in modern. Yeah. And I think Sally's is the one that has a clam pizza. I even, I emailed the Yale ticket office and I was like, because we're also trying to, on the way home, stop at Rockefeller Center. I'm going to show the kids the Christmas tree in New York City. Nice. And like, um, like I emailed the Yale ticket office and I'm like, if I show up with a Sally's pizza, can we bring it in? Because they open it at, at, they open at <laughs> 1130 and the game's at noon. And they wrote back. Oh, I, I was like, I know I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm asking anyway. And they wrote back. Yeah, of course you can't. And, you know, because of our policies. And I wrote, and then they're like, really nice, you know, go Bulldogs. So I replied, go Dragons, exclamation point. So we'll have to wait till after the game to get our pizza. But, um, but reminder for any, if there's young DAC pack people listening, road trips are great and take advantage. I know both of you guys did a lot of that stuff. So, um, be a real Drexel fan, Nate, just sneak the pizza. Come on. (laughs) Find one way to get that in there. (laughs) I couldn't even get a peanut butter sandwich in the league world series. Like I had it under my pants. I was all ready to go. And I totally, (laughs) totally punked out. I'm like, I don't, last thing I want to do is get busted trying to, you know, it's already free to get in there and here I am sneaking a peanut butter sandwich. So I don't have the, I don't have the balls to do it. So, um, but yeah, but all right. Um, what else? We'll talk about the big five. Yeah. Before, I guess we could jump to the big five, but I just wanted to mention Mariah Murray, right? She had uh, committed to Drexel. Uh, then she had the health scare and we're glad she's healthy. She's doing a lot better, but unfortunately she will not be wearing the Drexel gold and blue. She is uh, committed to Penn State, much like Cam Winter. It seems to be where players go uh, after they've <laughs> after they've played Drexel or committed to Drexel. So, uh, sad to see her go because it seemed like Kylie Lavelle and her had a very close friendship and played a lot together. I would love to see that chemistry at play at Drexel, but uh, you know, all the best to her and her career at Penn State. Glad to see that she's back playing basketball. Yeah, I, I, I say to my wife, like I, I probably have the wrong attitude about this, and ultimately, I wish her well, and she does terrific and has a great career. I just wonder going to dead end basketball programs at football schools. Um, I, uh, if I were me, if I were her, I, I come play for us, but I'm selfish and, you know, want everybody to come, I want, you know, Bronny James, if he's good, I want him to come play for Drexel. That's how I am. So, um, but yeah, no, wish her well, hope she does well we'll see what happens. So. And then you guys want to talk about the big five and I, I don't know, maybe, maybe Nate, you can give us a pref- preface on that because I, I saw a couple of articles pop up, I guess, one on the Inquirer, one on the Atlantic about this the big five is getting resuscitated. So what's the, I, I didn't, I didn't even know there was some conversations until today. So yeah. maybe you can give us a little and, background. And I mean, this may just be me, but you know, I, I think there's, there's been a lot of talk after that, the big five double header that they had last Wednesday night, that attendance was bad. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I forget. It was like, was it 2000 or some, and when it was a plus receipt, like 8,000 people. And, um, you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious. I think anybody will look at the situation and be like, yeah, the big five is not what it was. I'm just getting angry. Ang- angry may be the right word. I feel like there are people like dancing on the grave, kind of saying like, I was right. The big five is dead. And um, I I don't know why we want to see that go. You know, it, it I, I personally enjoyed, 
you know, if we were invited to the big five doubleheader, if we play before, you know, another game, I remember a couple of Saturday afternoons, like maybe we'd have the noon tip and then there was a game after at two 30. I love that. I got pumped for it. And I, I guess I don't know that there's anything constructive about celebrating its demise. And I think there's been more, I think the article I, I and I couldn't read it cause I don't subscribe to the athletic, but more of like, how do you revive it? And that's more of the conversation that I want to be involved in. And then it even got to you know, just, just people saying, and I'm just going to say it, stupid stuff about the palestra. And I don't know what you guys think about it. That's There's always a, a popular Drexel conversation about how much we hate the palestra. And similar to LaSalle, it's like, well, go beat them then. You know, if they're so awful, go beat them. Prove that we're better. Um, people, you know, if you hate the palestra, well, we'll go down and play a good basketball game. And then maybe you'll like it a little bit more. Um but I'm, I'm, I guess I love old venues like that. I'm, I'm in that generation, that in-between generation where like I, I'm old enough to remember how things used to be, but then like, and then young enough now to be part of the, you know, be attached to newer generations and be able to share that to them, specifically my kids. And um, I love the Palestra personally. So, and there's, and again, stupid comments about like, cutting down the, 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 uh, the capacity of the palestra. And I don't know people want like reclining chairs in there and they want like TVs and they want to be waited on. I, I don't know. It's nonsense. Um, yeah, people I, I really like, um, one person was complaining about how hard the seats are. And, um, I can tell you my, my butt is bonier than a lot of people's cause I run too much and I don't think they're that uncomfortable. So, um, you know, I don't know. I'm going on a rant and you guys may completely disagree with me, but like I said, and part of me has been saving it up because so I'm glad we finally did this. Like, you know, there's too much opinion on social media where people can kind of put what they think. And at the end of the day, I don't care. You know what I mean? I, I you know, I, and I'd rather have these conversations with people like you guys, you know, where you can actually hash out against solutions to problems than just going on and whining about things. Cause that doesn't help to bring it back. So I know what your guys' thoughts are. I'm done. But, you know, I was wondering what you guys thought about. You don't want a video board and softer seats and uh, lights that can go up and down and at the well, I'll tell you, and, and, and just so I'm clear, it's like they have a video board now, like on the one end. And they show I was disappointed. You know, I took my kids to the, the Delaware Penn game and they have a video board now. And I wanted to get they're always on the fan cam. It's like wherever you go, I want my kids in the fan cam. They got snubbed. That's fine. But they do have that on one end. And I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine with that. You, you're, there are upgrades you can make, but uh, you still want to see something the way that it was. And, um, you know, it's just to just totally rip a place, you know, again, just because the seats are too hard or whatever other nonsense. It's like, I don't want to hear it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I would say I'm a little torn. I'm of a similar mind to you. I didn't mind the palestra. I thought it gets a, like those old places, Fenway, Wrigley, the Palestra, like even the old Spectrum, Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. Like there was just something different. You knew where you are. Like a lot of the arenas today, you don't really know where the game's being played because they're not so different from one another. But these old places have a character. And I really like that about um, the Palestra. I mean, some of my favorite memories as a student and the DAC pack is going down there and inevitably getting into fights with that <laughs> stupid uh, ticket lady. She's trying to kick us out of our seats and checking tickets five times a game and, and fighting her and ripping down the banners after we finally beat Penn that one game. 
and, and them chasing us back up 33rd Street. Um, and, you know, those big five classics that they had where we were invited so they could fill out a whole day. And you know, like you said, the double headers and the back and forth between, you know, the different schools, even when they weren't involved in the game. I mean, there's a lot of fun in that. Um, and so that I would like to see uh, come back. And I'm glad that including Drexel was part of the discussion, at least from these articles. And basically some of them are even saying it's a done deal that you know, it, they're going to be included. Um, but then part of me is you see it, I think, in maybe some of the comments is, well, why don't we invite Penn State? Or why don't we try to get another school to come in and fill out the six because Drexel doesn't belong? I mean, there's a little bit of an arrogance there from, I would assume, the old or crowd of the pens, the Villanovas, um, the temples that still don't see us as an equal, even though you could make an argument, I, of course, Villanova's won a national championship, but of teams that are actually in the city, we've been one of the most successful yeah. over the last few mm. years. Um, and have had a pretty good run of taking care of some of these teams, um, over the last few years as well. So there's still that arrogance where part of me just says, you know, take your stupid big five and let it die <laughs> a death and then we'll re resurrect it or grow it again as a city six and just to be done with these clowns who never really treated us as a with the respect that that we i think we deserve um it's not you know the 1960s or 70s in philadelphia anymore certainly from a basketball standpoint and, and we deserve to be treated on an equal level um, I mean, you could argue as someone who had just been to the DAC and was totally amazed. I mean, other than maybe Leah Chorus Center, which is, you know, more of an arena. I mean, I would much rather watch a game at the DAC with the new boards than go to Hawk Hill or certainly to LaSalle. I mean, so even from a facility standpoint, you can't really knock us on that anymore with the upgrades that have been done. So, so I, I guess I fall similar both to, to you, Nate, but, um, Part of me just wishes it would die just so those old curmudgeons could could go off into the dustbin of history and then maybe we can start from scratch on a on an even playing field for what should be a very unique opportunity for I think Philadelphia to to market a, a, a major event that I think could gain some some national exposure, uh, which is never a bad thing. To me, my exposure and again to Palestra was probably through losing to Penn at our home game there. And, and as a result of that, I think I never enjoyed the experience of going to the Palestra because it was like, we didn't have a choice. They would never come to the DAC to play us. We were forced to go there. That being said, I, I enjoyed the time and we used to get invited to the big five, cla the classic. On, I think it used to be played on a Saturday, if I remember correctly. And it was, it was a fun time. I've been down there you know, when we were in college a lot and it was, it was great. I enjoyed those days, but uh, my exposure to it was so negative from the start. It was always losing to Penn most of the time and playing our home games there. And of course, being repeatedly reminded that I guess we don't belong there for one reason or another, be it that we didn't have our tickets, even though we're students and like who else is coming to these games uh, from Drexel at that time, at least. So it, it, I think that's why I have a bad Taste my and then once we beat when, oh what is it oh six oh seven when we were clearly the 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 best school one of the best uh, we beat all we beat all of them they 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 didn't invite us back after that like we it seemed like uh, they were fine with us being 
the worst team in the, in the city. But once we started becoming a legitimate team, they wanted to start ignoring us again. And, I, you know, it, it, the reason we like to hate on LaSalle is because <laughs> everybody in Staten Island hates New Jersey more than the rest of the boroughs. We're the closest, you know, we're the closest probably to LaSalle. So we're going to fight amongst each other. That's that's kind of how it works. So uh, it, it's just uh, I I don't want the big five to return. I, I would love for a city six to come back. I would love for. You know, I think somebody suggested like the first, the best two teams get a bye, and then it's like a series after that. I would love for something like that, but it should rightfully be called a city six, and uh, we should be part of it. Uh, the conversations about another random school in the state of Pennsylvania to be introduced into the mix is just comical. Right? Like that's like saying, you know, that's like somebody saying that they you know live in Philadelphia and they live out in media. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's it's a good at least from a Drexel standpoint, that we kind of put our foot down and it started under Bruiser, at least with regards to Penn. It's like, listen, we're not play our home games in your arena. Because if you remember, it wasn't just Penn. We had to play LaSalle at the Palestra. We had to play St. Joe's at the Palestra, Temple at the Palestra. Uh, So we finally put our foot down and said no. And, you know, credit to to St. Joe's and LaSalle. They finally said, okay, we'll play home and home with you. I guess, you know, Penn this year, they finally came back to the DAC. Um, and it sounds like Temple's coming to the DAC next year. So a credit to those schools for turning around, um, you know, that attitude. But that doesn't mean that attitude's not in their fan base. So I, their fans can go screw themselves uh, with that attitude um, because we certainly belong on the same playing field um, as all of them. And so from that standpoint, I agree with Leah. It shouldn't. I mean, if you want to call it the Big Five, just from a historical standpoint, that's fine. But but our name should be as as part of that logo. It can't be the like whatever they have the Pentagon with the five schools around it. I mean, we need to be recognized as an equal because we are an equal, or if not superior, to some of those schools now. It's like I said, it's not the '60s and '70s anymore. Well, that's a good example. Why you know, again, it, I, I'm I'm glad having a conversation and say, albeit through Zoom. But instead of being on social media, because like, uh, and Leon, I didn't even know that was out there bringing in another school outside the area. I mean, that's crazy. And that would have caused me to like have a heart attack if I had read that. So I'm glad I haven't heard that until right now. You know, I think Penn State plays one, they play Purdue at the Palestra. It's like a one-off thing. But yeah, I mean, that's crazy. So and then, yeah, I mean, you guys have me sold. It's like, so I, I could see the mindset of, you know, we've been always been, you know, looked at as, you know, inferior and yeah, I mean, I, I get that part. So to, to, to see that tradition go because we've been always kind of kicked to the curb. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes more sense than, you know, I don't like the seats or the plustera needs to be downsized and upgraded or whatever. I like, that's crazy. Like, um, so it makes sense for you guys to say, yeah, you're going to bring us back, you know, include us, treat us as an equal. And because to me, the, the biggest issue, the reason why the big five is where it is, is because of the programs being garbage. I mean, outside of Villanova, you know, and, and it's made everybody else look that much worse because Villanova has been so good. I mean, so in some ways they're probably coming to us with their tails between their legs being like, you know, Temple stinks. LaSalle always stinks. St. Joe's is, they need a new coach. Uh, you know, Penn, I don't think is living up to their expectations this year and certainly aren't what they were when I was in college, when I, and I, you know, I, I would say I got off on the right foot at, with, with the Palestra because my first Drexel game period was probably what 2002 
like the Tuesday before Thanksgiving went down a plusser and we won. So that was my first Drexel game period. And here we are winning and beating Penn at the plusser. It's like, whoa, this is cool. So like, um, so I got off on the right foot, but yeah, no, they're, they're, they're their own. They're the reason it's in the state that it is now. And, um, you know, and that, that to me is the beginning and ending of why the big five is in there. You know, people will get excited if, you know, Penn St. Joe's is against two team, two good teams, but if they're both garbage, who cares? And a lot of the, I think a lot of those programs too have made bad decisions because of how good Villanova is, like the way they railroaded Martelli, you know, like, and then they, you know, this Billy Lane guy, I mean, what has he done? I mean, probably should have fired him like two years ago, but you know, so it, instead of Villanova making everybody better, they've just made everybody look that much worse. So, and this is our opportunity. And I look at this too, as an opportunity to say, Hey, all you guys suck. But, and, and that's why it frustrated me. I remember we had that great year, you know, with Bruiser so close to the tournament and just missed it. But that was a time not only to dominate the CAA, but even to dominate the city. And that window is still open now. It's hard to believe going on 10 years. So yeah, I'm all up for a, a big five city six treats us as an equal and we can go and take this over. That's the attitude I have. So, um, but now good perspective, you know, help me out with that. So, but yeah. All right. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to, to hash that out. And again, it's um, always better to have a real conversation and do stuff on social media. So, um, all right, Leah, what else? Are we missing anything? Nothing. The only bad thing was when we were losing handedly to Princeton on the other side, the United States men's national team for soccer was also losing uh, to Netherlands. So, you know, I, I, I was hoping that we'd still have this discussion or have another podcast when the, the men's team was still in the tournament and we'd be talking about how they're playing Argentina tomorrow, uh, but that's not the case. So, um, you know, I, I, I did want to at least, uh, mentioned the other sport sport that some some basketball aficionados don't like to respect too much and like to call kickball <laughs> uh, but uh, the World Cup is going on and you know the US men's team didn't do as well as the women's team women's team typically does that's one sport that uh, you know the United States women are f- way far better than the men's team but uh, I at least wanted to give some props to the men's team they at least made the tournament this year and they got as far as the round of 16 so I don't know if you guys checked out the game or not. I'm just... I did. Uh, and I was on my way to Philadelphia, so I'm not a big soccer guy, um, but I kind of got into it. You know, my girls, uh, you know, been playing soccer on a youth level. Um, so I decided to watch the game. I watched the Wales game, and I thought that, uh, you know, we missed some chances there. They're clearly the better team, which I was kind of surprised by. Um and then in England, I, I thought they played phenomenal against England. Um, again, though, you know, had stretches where we were just dominating, but just couldn't do it. And I think we're still missing that guy that can take over and has to be respected. And I think until we get that, um, you know, we're still we're just going to be in this situation where we're good enough to get to the round of sixteen and dependent on matchup, maybe get another round, but that's, that's about it because we just don't have that talent that people need to respect and plan for like another, other countries have, you know, a guy or two that, you know, you, you just have to be aware of where they're at at all times. We, we don't have that. Um, and I think, you know, maybe there's some young guys that can step up cause we are a young team and, and, you know, experience will probably help them for, for the next time, but we still just need to get 
better athletes, I think, involved. Hershey, Pennsylvania, and a Bruce testicle says otherwise. The VM is not. No, I think we need more than Pulisic. You know, we need, we need, we do need some more finishers for sure. Landon Donovan, you know, for, for the older teams, then, you know, what is it? Oh, was it 02 when they went to the quarters and lost to Germany? I'm trying to remember, but uh, Landon Donovan was a finisher, man. But I don't know if you guys remember him from his heyday. The name sounds familiar. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Well, so yeah, so Christian Pulisic from the 717, where also I happen to live. And uh, I was pissed because it, it like last year, I guess he, he has some type of soccer fields that he funded in, I think it's near like Mannheim Township area. And he, he showed up to dedicate it. And I'm like, man, I could have my son walk up and get an autograph. It was like early June. I had no idea it happened. So I, I was like, man, we missed an opportunity. But you know, it, it's interesting, Roland, how you put it. And and Dan could could back this up better than anybody. I used to hate soccer probably about up until maybe 10, 15 years ago. But then again, your perspective changed. And then going on our last conversation, you know, instead of just being a hater all the time, you know, see if you can find something about everything that, you know, yeah, sometimes you're just not going to like, but then keep it to yourself. You know, if you're out there whining, it's going to cause more people to complain and then it snowballs. Um, because, you know, now as I sit here, my son plays soccer. I like watching him play soccer. Um, I, I followed the, the Japanese team too. We went to, like, my first professional game ever was in Hiroshima and I really enjoyed it. So, uh, and, and they did well. And um, by the way, thank you for reminding me of the one other loss I didn't bring up so far from the weekend. <laughs> that was Saturday morning. Um, but, uh, but yeah, at least Japan one was that Thursday. That was nice. But then they lost Monday. Um, but just yeah, it's it it. I like I enjoy watching the games, and I'm I'm not afraid to admit it. And and the only other conversation I'll make about it is, uh, you know, I I do kind of appreciate soccer doesn't change its rules. Like part of me, like the ja- the Japan game, when they it was like one one, and you just they seem like they were going through the motions until they get to penalty kicks, and then of course they lost. Uh, I'd like to see more goals, you know. But again, soccer is kind of like this is who we are. This is our rules. If you don't like it go somewhere else. And I, I kind of appreciate that, to be honest. But wait, I'm just going to give a little preview. We're working on some things. We'll figure out our regular podcast if we're going to do it Sunday. I may not make it because of our trip, but got a couple of guests lined up next week. Potentially one would be Mel Greenberg, who is the expert on women's basketball. And you talk about the big five struggling on the men's side. It is very strong on the women's side. So I'm curious to get his perspective, especially going to our game against Penn State. And then we are looking at having Jesse Zanellini on, who is essentially an offensive coordinator for a NASCAR team and the team that uh, was responsible for the what's called the Hail Melon at Martinsville Speedway. Um, maybe one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest moves in NASCAR history. And he was very much a part of it. So uh, curious to get his perspective as a Dak Pack alum on that and his NASCAR career. And if you great example, too. That's the third one in a row. If you, if you hate NASCAR, listen, because I'm sure he's going to have lots of interesting things to say. It's not just cars going around and around in a circle. There's a lot going on. Um, and, and Ross Chastain uh, went like kind of out of control around and around in a circle, like balls to the wall around and around in a circle. So we'll talk about that. So yeah, lots to look forward to, but we'll, we'll see you soon.